0: Let's go to the word in uh, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 the uh, verses 5 through 12 is our uh, scripture reading for today. And we've been in the book of Galatians since the uh, for quite a while now since the beginning of the summer, late May. And we've been working verse through verse through the book of Galatians. Of course, many of you know that already, but um, in case someone's watching online who's never seen before, uh, that, that's where we're, we're headed towards chapter 5, which is really the heart of the book of Galatians. And we'll read verses uh, 1 through 12. They're in your handouts uh, from the NIV version of the Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes this to the church in Galatia. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. and The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And as for these agitators, I I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, the Olympics were on just about every screen in our house. My family likes watching a little bit of everything, You know, some, some of the gymnastics, some kayaking, uh, a little bit of running and swimming and volleyball, and, and more, I'm not sure what your favorite sports are, but there's a bit or something for everyone in the Olympics. And towards the end, we started watching a lot of track and field because it seems like that was all what that was on. And every year, the announcers try their best to make everything dramatic. They hype up each race. They they build up the backstories of a few chosen athletes, and they film the race from every conceivable angle. They've got drone cameras up overhead. They have robotic track cameras that run alongside the track. They've got uh, shoulder cameras roving around the field doing interviews and long-range cameras to zoom in close. And when the shot goes off and the runners take off down the track, they, they accelerate to these speeds that are almost superhuman. They've worked so hard for this moment, and then suddenly, suddenly you see one trip and, and fall behind. And there's two or three that are running neck and neck, trying to get a break out of the pack. And one of them surges ahead, almost flying as they cross the finish line. And we get to see the replay from every angle, the, the, the camera that checks the line, the, the one that shows the sweat dripping from their faces, the, the interview after the race. Now that is a race. And then we see the medal ceremony where they stand on the podium, the three athletes in the different levels with the medals hanging around their neck. And, and the one with bronze is almost the happiest one of the three. They're just happy to have made it onto the podium at the Olympics. Now Paul thinks that the life of faith is a bit like running a race. And he uses this image of running a race all the time in his letters, maybe because it was a pretty common sport back then, maybe, I think, inspired by the Spirit, because it's a common sport in many cultures, and all of us can connect with it somehow. But here in Galatians 5, he brings up running in a little bit of a different way, a a negative way. Because the Galatians were running a good race, he says. Uh, They had a good thing going. And Paul puts himself in the shoes of their coach and he says to them, You were doing great. What happened? You got off track. Or or maybe you left your lane. You swerved out of the way and someone elbowed you out of the way. Or or maybe they pointed you in the wrong direction during the marathon. Who cut in on you? Who cut you off? Where did you miss the point of this race? The, The point of faith and hope and love. Because the trouble is that somewhere along the line they did miss the point. They were told by someone that to truly be saved, they they had to keep the whole law, but that's not what Paul had taught them. Someone had snuck in and led them astray. Someone had elbowed them off the track, and the problem is bad. And Paul wants them to be be clear that they understand the consequences of this. In verse two, he addresses them directly, personally, and he says, "I, Paul, with the full weight of his authority." And if they won't listen to him, who are they going to listen to? Jesus Christ and his angels? Not likely, because for Paul, it's, it's either circumcision or it's Christ. You can't have it both ways. Either you depend on Jesus Christ fully and completely, or you try to make something, do something, some action, some ritual to save you, to make you right with God. It seems likely, says one commentator of Galatians, that these Galatians had been following these new Jewish teachers for some time. They'd already been keeping the seasons and the rituals and the special days that Paul mocked in chapter 4. Maybe they haven't gone all the way yet. Maybe they haven't fully committed to being Jews. And Paul is making this last-ditch effort in this letter to keep them from, uh, from going that way. He wants them to see the deep spiritual consequences of going down that road. But it keeps getting worse for the Galatians because getting circumcised puts them into this catch-22 situation. If they do it, he says, they're obligated to keep the whole law, every bit, every word, every ritual. And Paul knows, as they know deep down, that no one can do that, not even their false teachers. And the paradox is that by trying to be right with God, by getting circumcised, by keeping the law, they automatically fail. No human can do it. And then the the second thing is if they do go through a circumcision, what they're saying is that Jesus Christ is nothing. They're cutting themselves off from Christ. Because if righteousness, if salvation, if being right with God, if God's kingdom blessings are achievable by doing the works of the law, then why did Jesus Christ come at all? And they'd be saying there's no need for a Messiah, no point to Jesus coming. And that is bad, really bad. No wonder Paul uses this strange phrase he doesn't use anywhere else. They've fallen away from grace. They've been alienated from Jesus. They've been cut off from Christ. And then Paul goes back to his grab bag of metaphors and he pulls a few more out. Uh, They were running a good race. Who cut in on them? Who elbowed them out? And then he pulls this one up about the yeast spreading through the dough. That's about the false teaching of those teachers spreading through the whole church Uh, They've been persuaded by these teachers and and that's who Paul is really mad at. Not at the Galatians themselves, but at these people who who led them astray. And so he points back to those false teachers. Or is it teacher, as he ominously hints Is is there one person back in Jerusalem who is the the ringleader behind this whole conspiracy? Could it be one of those so-called pillars of the church that he mentioned back in chapter 1 or 2? Maybe. We don't know. Paul is nice enough to not say their name outright, to not call them out. He just says, they will pay the penalty. And he is confident that the Galatians are going to come around. They'll come to the right view because it matters. There is no middle ground here. This thing either makes you a Christian or makes you something else entirely. And here's the thing, that this happens today, too. Sometimes we depend on our works of love for righteousness. We may try to do the right things. We try to live well, and then we sin, and we feel like nothing we've done can make us right with God. And that's exactly it. Someone sent me an email a few weeks ago with this story in it. In the story, a man dies and goes to heaven, and Peter meets him at the pearly gates. Now, don't take this story for any good theology, just for fun. Peter says, you need a 1,000 points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things you've done, and I will give you a certain number of points for each item. And when you reach a 1,000 points, you're in. You're into heaven. Okay, the man says, I was faithfully married to the same woman for 50 years. That's wonderful, says Peter. That's two points. Two points, the guy says. "Well, Well, I attended church my whole life. I faithfully gave my tithe every single week. Terrific, says Peter. Well, that's one point. One point? My goodness. Well, how about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city, says the guy, and and I worked at a shelter for the homeless. Fantastic, says Peter. That's two more points. Two points, the man says. At at this rate, the, the only way I can get into heaven is by the grace of God. Now that's what we're looking for, says Peter. Come right on in. Because to anyone who tries to earn their way or who thinks that something they've done can get in the way, Paul says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by any yoke of slavery. And that goes for the goody two-shoes among us and for the hopeless sinners among us. Don't go back to that way. Don't go back to trying to earn your own way. That is slavery. That is hopeless. It's a, it's a catch-22, just like the Galatians got stuck in, and you deny Christ's power. Just don't do it. Now, here in chapter 5, Paul comes the closest he ever does to summarizing the whole letter in, in verses 5 and 6, where he says this, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Some translations say faith working itself out through love. Faith and hope and love go together somehow. Uh, Where else in the Bible do we see these things together? Well, uh, Paul uses them in 1 Corinthians 13, that that text that we often use uh, about romantic love and preach at weddings. But it's really a text about how on earth can we love each other? It's about unity in a divided church. How can we get along with those people? Faith, hope, and love. Elsewhere, Paul says that we walk by faith, not by sight, that we live by faith. And here he says we love by faith. What does that mean? Uh, Beth Moore, a Bible study master, says that faith that has no love is not faith in Jesus Christ, who is love. Faith that has no love is not faith in Jesus Christ, who is himself love. If someone says they have faith but does not show love, then they do not have faith in Jesus Christ. It's something else, something twisted, something broken, something like what the Galatians were taught. And Moore suggests that if we hold this verse from Galatians beside another one about faith, that one from Hebrews 1.1 about faith and hope, which says this, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, that's a basic principle of reading scripture. You hold up scripture with scripture and use it to interpret itself. So here, Hebrews and Galatians together, and if you hold them alongside faith working through love and faith is confidence in what we hope for, this is what you get. Uh, Loving by faith is loving with no evidence that it's working. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, that's nothing special. Love your enemy, or or better yet, the person you don't care about at all, the one who you are indifferent to. Or how about we go to the book of James uh, 2, verse 14, which asks this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Paul is saying that on one level, faith without love is not faith at all. But he's never been anti-works in this letter. He's against the works of the law, this system that was designed to make people righteous that ends up condemning them. But he's not against faith expressed through love, through faithful, spirit-filled living, through loving your neighbor. And if you get the idea in this letter that Paul says what you do doesn't matter if you just believe the right things, then go back and read again until you understand this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself. Through love. On a deeper level, Paul is saying something about Jesus Christ himself. A a new commentary from N.T. Wright clued me into this. He he says, faith working through love is all about Jesus. He said as much in chapter 2. Galatians 2.20 says, I live by faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus lived by faith. He was faithful to the Father's redemptive plan, and that's why he became human. That's why he bore our weaknesses. That's why he did not sin. That's why he went to the cross praying, Father, let this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was faithful in his death and resurrection. He defeated the powers of death and hell once and for all, and he sacrificed himself for love. And if anyone can say this, it's about Jesus. His faith worked through love. And if Jesus' faith was that way, then ours should be too. Because we express our faith through love. And it's not easy sometimes with some people. Uh, Beth Moore says as much in her podcast about Galatians 5, I'll paraphrase what she says a bit. As uh, she says that all of us are called to love people that are that drive us absolutely insane. Maybe it's someone at work for you. Maybe it's someone at home. Maybe someone has a, a parent with dementia or Alzheimer's. Uh, they're, they're not the person they once were. Is my love doing any good at all, you wonder? Uh, we are called to love by faith. And uh, Maybe it's a neighbor who stands against everything you stand for. Uh, what do you do with that? You love by faith. Well, what if it's a believer who you completely disagree with? You love by faith. You express your faith through love. Maybe you're a teacher who's given it all for your students. Maybe you're a friend, a a mentor to someone, walking alongside someone through the dark valley. You love by faith. And Beth Moore goes on, and here I quote her. She says, Love is work. There's never any harder work. Faith is work, and it is never more work than when you are expressing your faith through love and not seeing any evidence that is doing any good at all. You may think, It didn't matter that I loved that person. It didn't just matter, she says. It mattered most of all. You will never love by faith and it not matter. At the end of the day, it will be what mattered most. We express our faith through love. Faith working through love, that is what matters. That's what counts. And Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That is why we have the faithfulness of Jesus working within us to produce love. It's the love of God, the love of our neighbors. Jesus did it. He lived it, he taught it, he gave us his spirit to help us live it out day by day to keep the faith through love. Dearly beloved, the children of God, you are friends of Jesus Christ, the one who is love. Express your faith through love. At the end, that's what counts. And it counts not as points on your heavenly tally. It counts because that is what Jesus did for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O oh God, your love made known to us through Jesus Christ propels us to love further, to express our faith in love. And we want to do that. Sometimes it's hard for us to do that with some people. And we, we ask your forgiveness when we haven't done it well. We pray that you guide us by your spirit to live faithfully, working in love. For, for the faith of Jesus Christ showed us what that looks like. And it is by his faithfulness that we are made free. Free to love, free to serve faithfully, free to live the life of faith. And we ask your spirit's guidance and blessing on us as we do that. For we want to be your faithful kingdom people to work out, to express our faith through love as Jesus did for us. This we pray in in, in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.